Hello and welcome back to Talk and Chop, the official sports podcast of the FSBU sports section. I guess just the official podcast of the FSBU sports section. I got the double going on there. Um, I'm back with another frequent guest um, on the pod, uh, Thomas Martinez, the editor of the FSU sports section. Uh, Thomas, how are you doing? It's been kind of a, a, you know, relatively uneventful week, despite what looked to be a big week for FSU sports. I'm, I'm doing great, Logan. It's great to be back on top on talking chop. Yeah, it's been an uneventful week, obviously, with the postponements with basketball for sure. Um, yeah, so for those who have not seen, Florida State um, played Georgia Tech on Saturday, lost 76 to 65, and I think that was an outcome that uh, probably shocked, or I shouldn't say shocked, but I, I don't think most people were expecting to uh, lose to Georgia Tech, and especially not by 11 points. Um, and then almost immediately after that game, um, obviously, the game against uh, Boston College, which was supposed to be played on uh, Tuesday, on February 2nd, was looking like it was on thin ice because um, Boston College was down to just four scholarship players, nine players total. So they would be playing with their equivalent of the Green Vipers, so their scout team. Um, and, I mean, that was it would have been about as hollow a victory as you could get. But on, I want to say it was late, was it late Monday or Tuesday, Thomas, that we heard about these, these postponements, do you remember? Yeah, it was Monday evening that we found out that Florida State would not be playing its next three games. Um, and this is pretty much the second time this season that Florida State has to go through this extended postponement period due to a positive test within the program. Um so as it stands right now, Florida State has seven regular season games remaining. If those games are to be played, seven games remaining. And then the ACC tournament is still scheduled um, as per usual. Um, so let everything goes. As, as we all know, you know, everything is always in the air when it comes to playing during COVID-19. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that, you know, obviously fans want to see these games get played. Coaches want to see these games get played. Players most certainly want to play these games but um i know for everybody's sake we had this conversation previously that you know COVID 19 is no joke so i think everybody's kind of first priority here is to uh make sure that everybody gets back healthy um but also just a uh i mean it was a grueling road trip coming up i mean it was a so a road contest uh, at boston college then this saturday would have been a road contest against Pittsburgh and then down to Virginia for another road game against uh, Virginia tech. And then, so now those three games will be passed over and Florida state will get back to it uh, the day before Valentine's day, February 13th against Wake forest. So, and I know this was definitely a real rough part of the schedule, but (laughs) that being said, I, I know that this team would definitely you know, rather be playing than sitting on their hands. Now, I, I do want to go back to this Georgia Tech game. I know it certainly caught me off guard, you know, especially by some of the margins that this team was losing by in the game, like that 11 to 1 run. Uh, I want to say right at the end of the first half was not um, particularly inspiring. Um, Thomas, I'm eager to hear your thoughts on this. I mean, looking at 
obviously watching the game and then also looking at Coach Ham's comments afterwards, it just seemed to be kind of an um, unusually sluggish night for the offense. Um, I mean, they turned the ball over like 11 times in the first half. Um, you know, just kind of an issue moving the ball. Um, I mean, what were your – is there anything that you could really diagnose from what you saw that night? Florida State, they just looked discombobulated, really. Um, you know, they didn't have a necessarily bad game shooting-wise. They shot 43%, but they did shoot 21% from three-pointer. Um, the depth didn't really show out for Florida State, with Raquan Gray being the only player to score in double figures. He dropped 19 points. And if you're Florida State, um, you usually don't want Raquan Gray to be scoring 19 points. You usually want, like, five or six guys to be – you know, scoring around 10 points. And when you're playing against Georgia Tech, um, Florida State, they did win the rebounding battle 37 to 31. But you're such, you have so much more size than Georgia Tech that they sh- Florida State should really be bullying in the paint. Balsa Vita should be doing much better in the paint than just getting six rebounds and put, putting six points. Um, Florida State had a few guys in foul trouble. MJ Walker fouled out. Pretty early in the second half, actually. I would say around halfway through the second half, MJ Walker um, fouled out. And I remember I was watching the game, and I was texting a friend. Florida State, they might have been down around like seven points at that point. I said, just wait. This is where MJ Walker takes over. Within like a minute, he fouled out. And I kind of said to myself, I don't know if this is going to happen today. Um, It just wasn't Florida State's night. You know, that just comes with playing in the ACC. A lot of fouls, too, in that game. It seems like Florida State has foul issues um, and losses a couple times per year. It reminds me of losing Pittsburgh um, at Pittsburgh. I think they've lost at Pittsburgh the last two years, um, but both games because of foul trouble. Um, so, honestly, Florida State, they just they shot themselves in the foot throughout the game. I didn't really see the loss as an indication that this team, you know, can end up doing great things in the NCAA tournament. I just saw it as a flat, a flat performance. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on. And then when you say that this team was shooting itself in the foot, you literally took the words out of Raekwon Gray's mouth. I mean, he said the exact same thing after that game. And um, But I, I agree with your sentiment that this isn't really a, um, you know, this isn't a loss that needs to be made into a, you know, the sky is falling type of thing. But still, I mean, I, against Georgia Tech, I mean, granted, this is the ACC. So a, a pretty um, stout, you, you know, always pretty stout competition here. But I don't think that this, especially after just kind of the, the surge that Florida State had been on, they had that huge win um, against Miami, won 81-59. And then against Clemson, the, there was an 80-61 game that I really don't think was as close. I mean, it's not a close game. I mean, when Florida State scores, you know, nearly 25% more points, or I guess nearly a third more points than Clemson did. But, I mean, that was a game where Clemson was just, you know, their shooting was abysmal the entire game, and they really kind of got themselves back in in, in, in garbage time. Now, I do want to ask you, and I'm hoping that you could kind of bring me back down to earth here, um, it seemed to me like earlier in this season that the offense was really 
running through MJ Walker for a while. You know, he'd have these games where he's putting up 20, 25 points, you know, you know, on a consistent basis. And now, you know, um, what we had been used to seeing in these victories was maybe five or six guys, you know, getting into the double digit, uh, into the double digits. And, you know, that's kind of taken away some of the, you know, points that he had been putting up. But, I mean, it seems like his kind of scoring totals have been declining. You know, is there anything that – and and I suppose falling out against Georgia Tech doesn't help that. But, you know, am I just kind of comparing apples to oranges here? Or what – you know, what are you seeing for his role in this offense as the season moves forward? Listen, he's averaging 14 points a game pretty much with – on a Florida State team, that's pretty much like averaging 20 points per game because – in years past, the leading score for Florida State's usually hovered around 12 points per game. His last four games, two, two points against Louisville, 10 points against Clemson, 11 against Miami, and eight against Georgia Tech. And he left the Georgia Tech game early, and I believe he left the Clemson game early due to injury. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to speculate. I don't know if he's 100%. Um, but if you're Florida State, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be relying on MJ Walker that much in the first place. I, I know I did mention that, you know, this was t- this was time for MJ Walker to step up because when he does score a lot of points, it's usually in short bursts in the second half. It's at Miami last year. It's at Notre Dame last year. Um, you know, he's kind of that guy that'll hit back-to-back three-pointers and get Florida State back into the game. Um, I, I assume that he's going to bounce back. I really do. Um, somebody that I'm kind of – that I'd like to see – step up more is Scotty Barnes. Um, obviously he's a freshman, but he's a freshman that's going to be playing in the NBA next season. Recent games, he's been, he scored nine points against Georgia Tech, nine points and five assists. And after MJ Walker left the game, Scotty wasn't, he didn't take enough of initiative in my eyes um, to step up kind of in MJ Walker's role. Mm-hmm. But again, you can't really you can't really ask Scotty Barnes to do that because he's not the same type of player as MJ Walker. He's more of a facilitator. Um, so then you get to the question: Is that worrisome for Florida State that they don't have another shot creator outside of MJ Walker at his level? Because I I don't think they do. I think the only person on their roster outside of MJ that that within their college time at Florida State could potentially reach his level of shot creation is Sardar Calhoun. He's definitely somebody that's impressed me. And I think that in future years, he could kind of be that type of player for Florida state. But as of this moment, I think that, I think that MJ's recent performances have kind of shown that they've kind of shown that Florida state, they don't have too many shot creators. They have a lot of guys that are good shooters, but they don't have a lot of Mm -hmm. guys that, you know, can take somebody on an isolation and pull up from 25 feet and make the shot consistently. Um, Because sometimes you do need that. Sometimes you do need that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, MJ Walker, MJ Walker definitely does need to step up for Florida State, but he shouldn't be somebody that should be dropping 20 points per game. Absolutely. And, you know, I I think you do a good job kind of – painting the picture and saying, okay, this is where he fits in and, and, you know, this and that situation, you know, and I don't want to say, oh, wow, he's, you know, completely fallen off. Um, like you said, you know, averaging 14 points for FSU is equivalent to averaging 20 for, you know, virtually any other team that isn't 
rotating players in and out and in and out and in and out like FSU. Um, and then I guess moving forward a little bit, just looking at this Georgia Tech game, um, I was talking with uh, Ben Meyerson about um, about this, you know, the similar thing in the Louisville game uh, a few weeks ago. And it was just about, you know, it seems like whether it's a win or whether it's a loss, it really seems to be these kind of, um, you know, the opposing point guard and shooting guard for each team that really seem to be, you know, putting up the bulk of each offense in this game. Uh, was no different. You know, you have Jose Alvarado, the um, Georgia Tech point guard, obviously a very dynamic player, um, but he put up, let me pull up his, uh, he put up 21 points, and then um, their other guard, Michael DeVoe, put up 19. You know, so 44 out of Georgia Tech's 76 points are running through, you know, their kind of, um, you know, their little, their guard team. And so this seems to be kind of the, you know, similar situation across each game now obviously against UCF this is where it was like oh wow these guys are just you know running up the numbers um and when Ben and I were having this conversation we were saying okay this is maybe a team that's not at the same kind of defensive prowess that we might have expected from previous iterations of a coach ham team you know do you think that this is just kind of the way the team operates this year do you think I'm kind of making a mountain out of a molehill here. You know what? I, I, I know that you're a big basketball guy. So if you could set me straight on that, I'd appreciate it. I mean, you lost three defenders to the NBA in Devin Vassell, Patrick Williams, and Trent Forrest. All three of those guys that went to the NBA were great defenders at Florida State. So I guess retro, you know, looking back at it, like you, you could kind of expect that slight drop to happen, but I don't think it's the end of the world. Because I've, I've actually been saying that I think this team could end up being one of the best offenses that Leonard Hamilton has had. I think that before the Georgia Tech game, they were on pace to be the third or fourth highest points per game average team out of any Leonard Hamilton squad at Florida State. Um, so you might not necessarily have to be as good on defense because I don't think they are, but that doesn't mean that they're bad at defense. I think mm-hmm. that Scotty Barnes is incredible defensively for a freshman. I think he's somebody that when he gets to the NBA, you're not going to be worried about him being a defensive liability. And obviously part of that is due to the fact that he plays point guard and he's six foot nine and his wingspan is ridiculous. Um, You know, we see him get multiple, multiple steals each game, you know, start a fast break multiple times each game. Um, Going back to the guard play of opposing teams, you know, you said it's happened multiple times this year. It really has. It happened against UCF where you had two or three guys dropping the majority of the points for the opposing teams. It happened against with Georgia Tech. You're not losing to better teams. You're losing to players that could create their own shots. Um, and that's really the type of players that you need to beat Florida State um, because there's very few teams in America that can match up one through five with Florida State. Um that's just part of college basketball, I think. I, that's just co- part of college basketball. You go against those type of players in the ACC sometimes. You know, back in the day, it might have been somebody like Donovan Mitchell. You know, you go against these – and not all of them, obviously, are going to turn into NBA starts like Donovan Mitchell. It's just somebody that I thought of. Um, but it seems like there's always a few of those guys in the ACC 
that could just knock off one of the teams in the conference just because of how good they are at shot creating. Alvarado was that. Georgia Tech got the majority of their points from three players. Um, you know, it's not going to work the majority of the time versus Florida State. Mm-hmm. When Florida State shoots around 20% from three-point or two, that definitely helps them. When, when Florida yeah. State's best um, offensive player fouls out with over 10 minutes remaining, that also helps them. Um, when Florida State's rebounding isn't good enough, really, um, that, that helps Georgia Tech, too. Um, so it was definitely a confluence of different things. But, yeah, I think you definitely have a point that it's a lot of these – it's a lot of these – shot creating guards that have really been away at Florida state. Um, so that definitely, that definitely could be something that, you know, when they get to the NCAA tournament, you might be worried about, Oh man, this, this team, if they have a great point guard or a great shooting guard, it's a lights out shooter. Um, but at the end of the day, Florida state one through five, one of the most complete teams in America, and it seems like they have two starting lineups or three starting lineups. Um, I forgot who said it. Um, I kind of get that from somebody saying, like, when you're playing Florida State, you're playing starters for 40 minutes straight. And that's really what it is. Um, and I would take that over a couple shock. Yeah, you make it uh, absolutely. Um, and I, I think you definitely kind of – caught the back end of what I was trying to see or what I I should have added there is, you know, if there's a decline in defense, you know, first of all, I don't think people are going to be worked up if, you know, that is made up on offense, which it certainly seems to be. And then also I, I suppose the Georgia tech game was sort of a return to earth for an offense that had been kind of shooting out of its mind for, you know, it seemed like a a couple weeks. Definitely. Um, starting with that, especially with that North Carolina State game, you know, where it was just, like, unbelievable. You know, one of the, you know, best shooting performances that, you know, Florida State had ever put up. Now, um, I do want to ask you, and in some ways I think you were on the last time that we were having this conversation, and obviously Florida State came out of that extended layover um, that they had and I mean, I mean went on a tear against North Carolina State went on a tear against North Carolina Louisville all these other schools you know just completely left them in the dust so um, but I think now especially later in the season you know you're fully in the middle of ACC play um, I mean would you be and again we saw this I think it, it, it varies a lot you know for the women's team for example they kind of came out after their long you know, um, their long break that they got, you know, for, for COVID related, you know, issues. And I mean, they've kind of been a little wobbly since then, you know, in this situation, do you anticipate any kind of sluggishness, you know, when the team hopefully does emerge from that um, next Saturday, or, you know, is it really, I, I don't know if there's any way that we can, you know, point at anything and say it's this or this or this. You know, I just want to hear what you have to, what you think, Thomas. Well, I know that when they came back from their last layover, um, it was almost as if nothing had happened. Um, I, I think it was MJ Walker who said that the loss to Clemson um, on the road, the first game against Clemson, that it left a bad taste in their mouth before, you know, eventually having to pause everything. 
Um, so if that's any indication, the way that they played over the last six or seven games, there's no reason for me to believe that they can't, you know, maybe not, maybe they won't be as, maybe they won't dominate as much as they did in the last five to six games, but there's no reason why they shouldn't beat Wake Forest, Virginia, Virginia Tech at Miami, at North Carolina, you know, win the majority of those games. Um, because again, you know, I, I feel like a broken record, but when you talk about Florida State, the most important thing to consider is their depth. Um, when you have, when you rely on 10 to 12 players, it's much easier if somebody has a bad night because you have nine guys right behind them who it could be their night. Uh, it could be Raekwon Gray dropping 19 points. It could be Balsa Vita balling out in the paint against a team that doesn't really have somebody that matches up against him. Um, so I think that Florida State is in good shape. I think that that depth in general is part of the reason why they've been so good this season. You look at teams like Duke and Kentucky that rely so much on younger players that don't develop within their program. And, you know, they had to deal with COVID-19. In this case, they're barely above 500. I haven't checked on Kentucky recently, but I'll tell you they're not going to be in the NCAA tournament unless something drastic happens. Um, Certainly. So Florida State's rotation is so solid that it can afford for a few players to have off nights. And that's always going to happen in the game of basketball. Obviously no reason that they should lose at home to Wake Forest. Um, if they did, I would be, I'd be shocked. I'd be thinking about that for years because uh, other than Florida state losing at home to UCF um, in the fall, that's really the only game that they've lost at home in the last five years that, you know, you, you really can't understand why they lost that game. Um, mm-hmm. so hosting in Virginia at home and Virginia tech at home. I mean, those two games could decide the ACC. They really could. Um, they could decide whether Florida state defends their crown or if one of those two Virginia teams ends up taking it. Um, but I think Florida state fans should feel pretty good. I think, I, I don't want to say that the break came at a good time because you never want somebody within the program to test positive for COVID-19, but seeing how they reacted at Clemson last time makes you think that, you know, this team has the character to come back and go on another run. Oh yeah. I, I you're hundred percent correct there, Thomas. Um, I, if we've seen anything, this, the ability of Florida state to bounce back, you know, year over year. And it's not like we're talking about an extended losing streak or anything here. I think we're definitely, fortunate to say bouncing back from a you know a one loss and then a you know you got to sit and stew for two weeks but um I I think we've definitely covered uh, all our bases here with respect to this game um is there anything else that you felt like I I left out or should go address um I know we've got a lot of uh recruiting stuff to talk about tonight so, um, but I want to just, you know, pass the torch to you one final time. No, I think, I think we've covered pretty much everything basketball related. I'm really interested to see how they come out after this break. I hope that they, that there aren't any further positive tests and that, you know, they're good to go against Wake Forest on the 13th. Uh, certainly, you know, and I know everybody will definitely be counting down the days until we can finally get Florida State basketball back. Um, you know, now let's turn to football. Um, you know, Florida State might be a basketball school, but it definitely seems like, you know, the tide is uh, certainly turning 
for uh, Florida State football, um, at least one would hope. But there are definitely victories on the recruiting trail. Um, I know the two kind of biggest fish that Mike Norvell has landed so far. Um, you have Nico Marchial, a uh, quarterback, quarterback out of Arizona, who he came to visit. It sounded like he came to visit the campus and didn't really expect to be as wowed as he was by what he saw. Um, but evidently, whatever Norvell and company were doing worked. And, I mean, that got a commitment out of him. And then Travis Hunter, um, he's kind of a two-way athlete. He's listed as a cornerback, but he definitely has been kind of talking up his wide receiver game. Um, and he's definitely looking like uh, NFL material for Florida State. Um, I know these guys have definitely been the ones that I've been excited the most to talk about. I, I think that, um, you know, seeing them and their, their backyard football stuff was very fun. But, uh, Thomas, I want to, you know, hear what you might have to think about these guys or some others that we might get into. You know, what what has impressed you and what do you think? Well, you know, obviously we had National Signing Day this week for the class of 2021. Uh, I've been saying that I think the class of 2022 that has Travis Hunter, that has Nico Marco, that has all these guys, I think that the class of 2022 – could be the most important recruiting class of Mike Norvell's tenure at Florida State. I think it could end up being the recruiting class that makes or breaks him. Um, and I think he's off to a good start. I mean, Travis Hunter, you can make the case that he's the best player in America. I mean, he's ranked the number four player in the country according to uh, 24-7 sports. And he had over a 1,000 yards receiving this year. Um, I think he caught – close to 20 touchdowns. He had eight interceptions as a cornerback. He was named the Max Preps uh, National Play or National Junior of the Year, I think it was. Um, he's somebody that could realistically, he could have come to Florida State this year if he if he was a senior. Um, and, he, and the crazy part, the crazy part for a program, I mean, they went three and six last year, six and seven the year before that, seven, five and seven the year before that, seven and six the year before that, um, for a program that's been mediocre for the last four to five years, the fact that you get that at the moment you have one of the best players in America and he's essentially you know, going to Clemson and saying, no, nah, I'm fine. Like Clemson offered him, all right, you, you want to check us out? No, nah, I'm good. I'm going to stay with Florida State. Like he's, he's probably the most locked in out of any player in this class. And he's by far the best player in the class. So that in itself is incredible if you're a Seminole fan. He's also, he's also somebody, you know, every year you always have one or two players in your class that, you know, they're active on Twitter uh, recruiting players to come to Florida State. He's one of those guys. So when you're a recruit and you see that one of the best players in America wants to play with them, that's, that's something that you definitely listen to. Um, so there's definitely a lot of reasons for optimism for Seminoles fans. You know, everybody's talking about the class of 21, but I think the class of 2022 is huge. I completely agree. And yeah, to your point on Travis Hunter there, I mean, for somebody that, yeah, he's always on Twitter. I wanted to point out that he was going after the current number one quarterback in the 2022 class, this kid named Gunnar Stockton. And he tweets at him after the national championship game and goes, hey, man, come to Florida State so we can get that uh, 
Mac Jones to uh, Devontae Smith combination going. And I, I got a real kick out of that, you know, and that's it's doubly funny when you think that he's listed as a cornerback now, having signed with FSU. But, I mean, he still put up, yeah, over over 2,000 yards um, in high school. I mean, just killed it on both sides of the ball. So, I mean, it seems like he definitely wants to be in the wide receiver conversation. Um, but I know whatever he's able to do, you know, a lot for FSU fans to be excited about. And then I also do want to add, because I was just going through some of his, his statements. He's obviously been a prolific Twitter user. But he said that Florida State was his dream school. And now, this is a kid out of Swanee, Georgia. It's not like he, he grew up in Ocala or Tallahassee or somewhere where you've got garnet and gold, you know, basically shoved in your face, you know, that in orange and blue for UF. Um, so, I, I mean, I think, and I, I could just be speculating here, that maybe, you know, the the history, the bull streak, the Bobby Bowden and Jimbo Fisher years that people were, you know, where this team was consistently – one of the best in the country, you know, maybe that hasn't been the memory of that has not been totally extinguished yet. You know, he would have been, gosh, a middle schooler maybe when uh, Florida state won that national title at the end of the 2013 season. And I mean, I would guess that that clearly made a huge impression. So, um, I mean, I I was just heartened to see that even if it's not extremely indicative of a whole lot. Now, I do want to turn to Nico Markial, this quarterback out of Arizona, um, who evidently came to Florida State and, you know, was just very impressed by what he saw. Um, The indications that I've seen, at least from the kind of recruiting world on Twitter, was everybody saying, "Okay, Mike Norvell has got his guy for 2022 and beyond. People seem to think that he will be making an immediate um, splash when he gets to campus and from the footage I have seen, just his kind of pro, he definitely seems to kind of fit into a pro style offense. Um, obviously, Chubba Purdy, um, similar type of quarterback for what Mike Norvell would want. But what I am uh, taken by, and I'd like to get you to tell me if you think I'm going too far astray with this, Thomas, is he's coming out of Arizona, which is where Chubba Purdy also came out of. And obviously, Chubba Purdy when he flipped from uh, Louisville to Florida State was uh, was pretty significant. Obviously, Mike, Mike Norvell was an offensive coordinator at um, uh, Arizona State for a while. Kenny Dillingham, the offensive coordinator now at FSU, sounds like he's got a pretty solid uh, – he grew up in Arizona, so he's got a pretty solid connection there as well. And I don't know if maybe FSU's tapping a pipeline that – is kind of ripe for the picking because Arizona and Arizona state are typically underperforming in the pac 12. But I mean, do you think that there's much to be made out of that Thomas or is it, you know, just kind of, you know, working with what you got? I mean, I feel like Arizona could be similar to Florida and Texas in that the weather is pretty consistently good there, you know? So, I mean, if they're finding a gold mine, that could be good, but you know, tell me if you think I'm, I'm, making too much out of no i think you have a point and it goes back to what you said kenny dillingham is from arizona uh he pretty much started his career at arizona state mike norvell early on in his career he was also at arizona state so you know a lot of recruiting has to do with who you know that's part of the reason why florida state wasn't really in it for the majority of the top players in the state of florida this year um because the coaching staff just 
they didn't really get the time to build those relationships with high school coaches due to the pandemic. Realistically, at the end of the day, Florida State needs to be lending, you know, when, when you talk about the, the team that lands the most top 25 players in the state of Florida, that team is usually going to be the one that's best off. Um, looking at Alabama, like somebody like Patrick Sertan, their top three defensive backs were all from Miami-Dade County, or they were all from that tri-county area um, that Miami fans like to call the state of Miami. Because when you get those players from Miami-Dade County, when you get the top players in the state of Florida, that's how you end up winning. But I do respect the fact that Mike Norvell and Kenny Dillingham over the last two, or I guess over the course of three recruiting classes between Chubba Purdy and Nico Markiel, you know, they, they went to an area that they know well. You know, it's not necessarily an area that Florida State recruits much, but that doesn't matter. Um, Nico Marco seems to be somebody that they like. He's a left-handed he's a left-handed quarterback. He seems to, he seems to be very accurate, and he has a quick release, which in Mike Norvell's offense is definitely very important. Um, an up-tempo offense where you know you're just trying to get the ball to your playmakers as quickly as possible. Um, I don't know if Florida State's done it at the quarterback position. Um, you mentioned Gunnar Stockton. I know there's an, a lot of other quarterbacks. Um, I think realistically at the top of their list is MJ Morris um, out of the state of Georgia. He's a top 100 player in the country. Um, he's also being heavily recruited by Georgia Tech, Georgia, um, a lot of top programs as well, um, other than those two. Um, but yeah, I don't think Florida State is done at quarterback. Um, and I don't think they're done getting high-quality players. Um, you look at Marvin Jones Jr., obviously the son of the legendary Marvin Jones who played at Florida State. Um, you know, Florida State potentially getting the legacy commitment from him. Um, Julian Armella, who's currently um, – who's an offensive tackle out of Miami Columbus, um, four-star – that uh, recruitment might come down to Miami and Florida State. Um, so I think that Florida State, when it, when it comes to recruiting, some of it is luck. The fact that you have or they will have multiple legacy players in this class, the fact that a top five player in America happens to have grown up a diehard Seminoles fan, some of it is luck and some of it is just a well-done recruiting job by the staff so far. But again, it's early in the process. The program has been mediocre over the last four to five years. If they go six and six or five and seven this year, who knows what happens? Uh, realistically, you'd like to go seven and five or eight and four to kind of show recruits that something is changing in Tallahassee. It certainly, you know, and I think this year will definitely be, as you say, pretty pivotal to just at, at least at the at rock bottom. I think you got to go. 500 and even seven and five i think should be you know if fsu can attain that that is you know that would be huge um to show that you know kind of the the ball is moving the way that you want it to go um but i also think that you know with the talent that they're getting a hold of you know that's not a pipe dream you know whereas if if you had said last year oh fsu could go eight and four you know maybe i would have been blinded with my norvell glasses but I don't know that I would have thought that terrifically attainable. Now, um, I want to kind of open it back up to you, Thomas. I know you were talking about um, some of the kind of 
you know, one of the kind of the last developments of this 21 class was uh, somebody who was expected to sign with Florida State, but his uh, kind of signing process was a little more protracted than uh, I, I think most people wanted. Um, I, I know you were talking a, a little bit about uh, Destin Hill, Fat Hill, apparently, as he likes to go by. Um, and then you you also had a little bit of just kind of thoughts on the what there could still be done, if anything, with the 2021 class. So I, I wanted to make sure that you kind of got that thought in here because I thought you did a pretty good job. Yeah, listen, National Signing Day used to be the big day, you know, when it co- came to college football fans in the offseason. You know, that's usually when you used to see all the big – big time commitments of players who were still undecided. Obviously in the last few years, due to the emergence of the early signing day period in the fall semester, it seems like once we get to the February signing day, there's not too many players left. Somebody who was left for Florida State, Destin Hill, you mentioned, the number 113 player in the country according to 24-7. He's the top ranked recruit that's part of this 21 class of Florida State that's now finishing number 22 in the country. Obviously, for Florida State standards, that's that's without a doubt a subpar class. But then you start to look at why they're ranked number 22 in the country. Um, and that's the fact that they have eight transfers, including Mackenzie Milton, including multiple players from the SEC that have starting experience. Um, Seminoles fans should be excited because Florida State added eight players And I would guess that at least six of them are going to be starting for the Seminoles next year. And I would also guess that with Florida State's one additional or one last spot in this class, I think they use that on an offensive tackle that gets into the portal, somebody that could potentially play left tackle and that could move Devontae Love-Taylor to left guard for the Seminoles. Um, Going back to to Destin Hill, formerly Destin Paison, He's somebody that brings a lot of speed to Florida State. I know that on the offensive side of the ball, you know, Florida State was definitely lacking when it came to weapons this year. I mean, if we're being honest, Florida State's best weapon this past year was their quarterback, Jordan Travis, and it seemed like he was getting knocked out by the second half in in multiple games this season. It was very MJ Walker-esque. But um, Destin Hill, they say that he's been clocked at at 4.3. Obviously, you know, you got to take that with a grain of salt because it's an unofficial time, you know, just to be conservative, probably, probably in the four fours that he's running, he's six feet, 200 pounds. It just seems like throughout his high school career, he's just been getting progressively better. Now, I don't, I don't know why he waited uh, until February to sign with Florida State. I know that he's somebody that's been fairly quiet throughout the recruiting process, Uh, Maybe he was putting out feelers to LSU or Alabama, but at the end of the day, he's a seminal and I would not be surprised if he's somebody who's getting significant playing time for Florida state Uh, because Florida state, they added four wide receivers, including Malik McLean, who, who who decommitted from Florida state and then recommitted um, Joshua Burrell and then Andrew Parchment through the transfer portal. So I wouldn't be surprised if two of those four guys, um, end up getting significant playing time for the Seminoles. And I definitely expect those two guys to be Parchment and Hill. And who knows, maybe one of the other two guys uh, ends up playing a role as well. 
Certainly. Yeah. Um, I, I think, yeah, you're completely right. Parchment, I, I think he's definitely the strongest suspect to get a lot of playing time. Uh, I mean, especially as impressive as he was at Kansas. Um, and I, I think, honestly, and I do want to touch on a couple of the last 2022 recruits that I've seen, and that's Quincy McAdoo out of Arkansas. He's a four-star wide receiver. And then also uh, Nigelic Smith. He's a, a three-star defensive back, and I, I think both of them should make big impacts. But, I mean, the fact that Florida State is definitely signing guys of this caliber and also has got, you know, people like Travis Hunter, you know, basically running interference for him on Twitter um, and, and potentially, you know, getting more and more of, I think especially now, you know, obviously some of the biggest news in college football was the fact that um, uh, the – EA college football series will be coming back. And I was just tickled by a lot of these things I saw on Twitter saying that, you know, when your my player drops a note or whatever it is, when it's like when your my player drops a screenshot of a note on Instagram saying, oh no, I've decommitted um, or some nonsense like that. Um, you know, and so I think that having somebody like Travis Hunter now where so much of, you know, kind of the college football recruiting scene takes place on Twitter and Instagram, you know, we've all seen these ubiquitous, you know, I'd like to thank my head coaches or head coach XYZ, but I'm reopening my recruiting process, you know, 100 emoji, 100 emoji, 100 emoji, you know, uh, having somebody like Travis Hunter's great uh, to that end. But um, I think regardless, 2021, we, as we've talked about previously, has shaped up to be a big uh, class that will make a big impact for FSU. And then 2022 is shaped up um, very nicely as well. So um, I know that I've definitely hit on everything that I wanted to get in. You know, obviously this 2022 class, number six initially, a uh, lot of room to move uh, as as things go forward. But um, Thomas, any any? I love that you mentioned uh, the NCAA video game coming back uh, because I'm I'm definitely I'm somebody who still plays NCAA 14. I just get the updated rosters and I'll play against friends. It's a game that's, you know, it's aged very well. It's, you know, it's become a cult classic for sure. Yeah. Um, one last thing. I know your Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to be in the Super Bowl this weekend. So I just wanted to hear what your thoughts are on that. I know it's not FSU related, but when your team is in the Super Bowl, you got to talk about it. Oh, um, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways, being a Bucks fan prepared me well. For this long, long stretch, it was felt like a long stretch to me my entire time at Florida State, where the team's been pretty mediocre. Because um, the, an anecdote that I always like to share is I was, uh, if you want to think way back when, I remember being at the stadium for Josh Freeman's NFL debut in 2009, and I saw the Bucks win that game. I did not see them win a game in person when I was going to one or two games a year until my senior year of high school. So, um, I was thinking about it and I don't want to say that I'm just glad to be in the Super Bowl. Obviously I want to see them win and I'm very excited, but I mean, just the fact that they are there, um, it, it's still kind of surreal to me. You know, I actually, I had one of my good friends, we were watching the end of the um, NFC championship game against the Packers. And he actually like was like breaking down in tears, yeah. you know, just cause we had never seen this. We weren't around for the 2002 Super Bowl. So, um, I mean, I, I am beyond excited. I, I really cannot understate 
how you know thrilled I am to see them back. And um, obviously, I'd love to see them win. But just seeing them there, I, I think after just the the years and years of of misery going to those games um is 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 really just beyond exciting for me and i know for you thomas it's definitely i think things are looking up as well in miami you know we're kind of veering out of uh you know out of range a little bit here but i mean how, how did you feel Listen, i thought it was a very successful season for sure for the miami dolphins uh we'll see what happens now you know there's obviously the deshaun watson to miami rumors um i think that either way the Dolphins can't lose. If they if they keep Tua, I, I would not be upset by that. Um, I think that if you put the right weapons around him, if you fix the offensive line, he'll definitely get the chance to prove that he's a good NFL quarterback. And if they trade for Deshaun Watson, you're getting a top five, top ten quarterback in the league. And that's a team that's going to be you know contending for Super Bowls with the defense that this team has. Going back to your Buccaneers, as somebody who grew up with Dolphins fan, I know that you can never bet against Tom Brady. I know from experience because I have bet against Tom Brady and I haven't done so well when I've done that. Um, so honestly, like seeing Tom Brady make it through um, the playoffs as a Dolphins fan, it just something comes up within me that just gets me upset, even though he's not on the Patriots. Um, I guess it's just like, I guess it's almost like an instinct at this point. Um, but yeah, you can't bet against Tom Brady as great as Patrick Mahomes um, and the Chiefs are. I'm excited. I'm excited for that game. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you are, you know, even with uh, Tom Brady in it. Uh, um, again, the Bucks were in a separate conference. So, I mean, he was just, I, I could hate him just as a football fan, not as a Dolphins fan, fortunately. Um, but yeah, I, I'm thrilled. Uh, and I think that Florida State fans have a lot to be thrilled about too. Um, in the coming weeks and then in the, um, you know, as the, football season approaches. So again, this has been another episode of Talk and Chop. Uh, you can always find Thomas and I's work in print um, in the white FSU boxes on campus, or you can always find it online. And thank you again for tuning in last year. So, you know, um, I, I would think it's yeah. going to be, I mean, even more random now, but so, uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting to watch. But so I'll go ahead and get this updated um, or uploaded. Excuse right. me. Um, and then I'll text you. Uh, All right, let me know uh, do that right how now. the softball uh, interviews go or if there's any update with that. Okay, yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, I'll definitely um, talk to her about that. And then hopefully, you know, Coach Almay is great to talk to. So um, I don't know if you listened to the episode with Brett, but I kind of just did a Q&A and, you know, Brett really went into a lot of depth. And I, I, yeah. I mean, she fucking coaches the team. So yeah, it should be, be pretty good. So, all right. I'll, yeah, all I'll right. Text you all right. I'll see you later. Time.